In a world grappling with its geopolitics being fragmented, the East versus West competition for power is seemingly threatening to divide and polarize the global order. Russia's ability to selectively influence leaders and events in various parts of the world is vital when discussing international crises. On this special edition of Talk to Al Jazeera, we go to the Doha Forum 2023 where we connect with Russia's top diplomat to discuss the war on Gaza and Ukraine and his country's apparently contradicting stands on both conflicts. The Russian Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov, talks to Al Jazeera. Sergei Lavrov, Foreign Minister of the Russian Federation, thank you for talking to Al Jazeera here at the 2023 Doha Forum. Can I start by asking you about the war on Gaza? We now have more than 17,000 people killed in two months in Gaza, and efforts to get a ceasefire have not got anywhere because the US used its veto in the Security Council. Do you see any hope of diplomacy to bring, it, to bring the conflict to an end in the near future? Well, there is always a hope for diplomacy, and this is what we have been trying to do uh, since the beginning of the current wave of violence, we strongly condemned uh, the terrorist attack against uh, Israel on the 7th of October, like we condemn any terrorist attack. At the same time, we do not believe it's acceptable uh, to use this, this event uh, for collective punishment of the millions of Palestinian people with uh, indiscriminate shelling of the civilian quarters uh, you mentioned uh, the number of uh, casualties. They are growing day after day. And those who suffer, who suffer uh, most uh, are the kids and women. Uh, and uh, the, the, the facts about what is going on, uh, we can see uh, on, on your and other channels uh, every, every coming, every passing hour. Uh, we have introduced uh, very soon after this tragedy started, we have introduced a resolution in the Security Council. Uh, it was blocked by the United States. Brazil introduced another resolution. It was also blocked by the United States. Then the General Assembly uh, passed a resolution which was uh, weaker than what we wanted in the Security Council because it provided not for humanitarian ceasefire, but rather for humanitarian, for humanitarian truce. But even that uh, was uh, not acceptable to the Americans and other Western countries. They did not support that resolution. And uh, eventually they organized the Security Council to pass uh, a decision, a resolution, which called, not demanded, but called for humanitarian pauses. Because to do this, we need some kind of monitoring on the ground. Maybe. United Nations Relief and Work Agency in Palestine could serve the role, uh, but we addressed the Secretary General, suggesting that he used his, his uh, authority to consider some kind of monitoring, but so far to no avail. But this does not mean that we all should stop uh, trying. Uh, we should do everything in our power uh, to continue this political pressure to achieve the humanitarian 
ceasefire. That US veto in the Security Council, how do you think it will affect the way the US is seen in the region? Let me read you a tweet from the Omani Foreign Minister, Bada al-Busaidi, which he wrote after the veto. I deeply regret the United States should sacrifice the lives of innocent civilians for the cause of Zionism. Long after we're gone, the world will look back on today with shame. Well, it's up to the regional countries and other countries in the world to judge uh, for themselves uh, as regards the American veto. Uh, for us, uh, we have made our conclusion long ago, and the uh, egoistic nature of the decisions uh, the American uh, foreign policy provides uh, are very well known to us. You know, you mentioned about this veto, and when, when vetoing this resolution, the American representative uh, in the Security Council room uh, said that they cannot support the uh, demand for immediate uh, ceasefire in Gaza, because this will, this will sow the seeds for the next war, quote unquote. Uh, you know, the uh, Americans are very good at uh, what we call cancel culture. Whenever they don't, they don't like some part of history or some part of events, they just cancel what preceded it. So by saying that, by announcing a ceasefire, we will sow the seeds for the next war, uh, I mean, we have to we have to to recall what was the the roots. What what are the roots of the situation in the Palestinian territories? What is the situation with the more than 75 years uh, of resolution uh, promising the state to the Palestinians is being is being sabotaged, and for about 50 years the uh, blockade of Gaza continues. You know, one of the, I don't remember who it was, but one of the uh, official uh, of the Israeli government, uh, he said that um, mm, those are, those are uh, not actually civilians because uh, the Palestinians in Gaza, when they are three years old, they are already extremists. Uh, well, there is some truth in it, but we have to understand the reason why the kids and youth in Palestine are being brought in the feeling that they have been victimized for decades, for, I mean for decades and for, for generations. We have been telling our Israeli colleagues uh, many years ago, I myself, uh, when we had close contacts uh, with uh, the predecessors of Eli Cohen, uh, I was several times drawing the attention that the single uh, most dangerous factor igniting extremism in the Middle East is the unresolved nature of the Palestinian statehood. Foreign uh, Minister, I, there'll I, be people watching here in the audience and watching on television who'll be saying, yes, he's absolutely right about the high level of civilian casualties, but they'll say, what about what Russia has done in the past? And I'll come on to the Ukraine war later in our interview. But if you go back uh, to Chechnya, the high level of civilian casualties, if you go to Syria, the bombardment of hospitals, aren't you being hypocritical here? Uh, well, it's up to you to judge. I don't believe uh, I am hypocritical or Russia is hypocritical. Uh, we, we, never, uh, we never have been hiding uh, the operations uh, which we entertained in the Republic of Chechnya, 
uh, we never have been hiding what we have been doing in Syria at the request of the legitimate government, member of the United Nations, fighting ISIS, Jabhat al-Nusra, Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, uh, and other uh, organizations which uh, have popped up uh, after the American interventions in Iraq, when Al-Qaeda was created, uh, then uh, in Libya, Jabhat al-Nusra, and you know this, this, uh, this story. And yes, we will Foreign, yes, Foreign Minister, and we will, I, I know, we I know continue, the story. And we will continue to fight terrorism. 2015, I asked you at a news conference um, at the United Nations about this, about those groups, and you said if it looks like a terrorist, if it acts like a terrorist, if it walks like a terrorist, if it fights like a terrorist, it's terrorist. Well, what is Russia's view of Hamas? Because Israel, Western countries, the European Union, they say they're a terrorist organization. I note that a Hamas delegation visited Moscow in October. Do you think Hamas should be part of the post-conflict resolution here? You're much better at interrupting people than I am. Uh, indeed, Hamas committed terrorist attack on the 7th of October, which we condemned immediately. Hamas has a political branch which operates in Doha. And we have relations with this political branch, and we immediately got in touch with the people in Doha to negotiate the fate of the people taken hostages, Russian citizens, but not only Russian citizens, Israeli citizens, citizens of the neighboring country to Russia, and some others. And we managed to reach a deal which, as far as, far as I can say, uh, Israelis understand and even appreciate as far as their citizens are concerned. Foreign Minister, um, the Secretary General of the United Nations, there were calls from the Israelis for him to resign after he said October the 7th didn't happen in a vacuum. He was right, wasn't he? The US tried to take the lead role in diplomacy and in fact has taken the lead role in diplomacy on this matter for decades now, but they've been ignoring the Palestinians. Well, I think everybody can understand and can agree that this happened not in a vacuum and I uh, referred to the decades and decades of blockade, decades and decades of uh, unfulfilled promise that the Palestinians would have a state uh, living side to side with Israel in security uh, and uh, good neighborliness. Uh, I cannot, I cannot, uh, you know, the, it's, it's again, it's about the cancel culture. Whatever you don't like in the uh, events which led to a situation, you cancel. It's like, it's like you mentioned Ukraine, it's like everything which took place before February 2022, including the bloody coup, uh, unconstitutional change of power, including the war against Donbass, which did not accept the coup, the illegal uh, change of power, and did not accept the power of purchase. All this was cancelled. The only thing which remained, Russia invaded Ukraine. But the Minsk agreements, which were openly sabotaged by the Germans, the French, and the Ukrainian president at that time, all this has been cancelled. And the hybrid war against Russia, launched by United States and NATO, is based on this cancel culture. Foreign Minister, talking about the war in Ukraine, recently the Ukrainian side, the head of their armed forces, said there was a stalemate 
he got into some trouble with President Zelensky for saying that. But would you agree with that assessment? On the battlefield right now, there's a stalemate. Well, it's up to the Ukrainians to recognize uh, how deep they are in the hole where the Americans put them. Well, if it's a stalemate, aren't you in that hole too? Well, it's up for the military to, to assess the situations in which they find themselves. But as Russia's chief diplomat, I mean, if you look at this war, I don't know how many people have been killed on either side. There are so many different estimates, but all of them seem to be very large figures with tens of thousands on either side. And this was a war of choice by Russia. I know you call it a special military operation, but President Putin decided to invade. What has Russia achieved in the last 22 months? Well, well, I, I know that whatever I uh, say in my previous intervention, uh, you, would still, you would still be reading from your paper, which you printed before this, the beginning of this session. I mentioned the phenomenon of cancel culture. It's not a war of choice. It's the operation which we could not avoid given the years and years and years of Ukraine being prepared by the United States and NATO as an instrument to undermine Russia's security. The, if, you, if you have interest, I will send you the uh, list of the legislation Ukrainian government passed after the bloody putsch in 2014 to cancel everything Russian. Russian language, Russian media, Russian culture, Russian education, everything. And this is uh, against the people who for generations have been living in the eastern and southern Ukraine. This has been all cancelled. And the only thing which the Western media uh, is being, is being uh, encouraged to say is Russia invaded Ukraine. Russia started the war of choice. What was the other choice if your nation, your people are physically exterminated, and this is cemented in legislation of the country where nazist regime uh, holding power. I spoke recently to the president of Brazil, President Lula da Silva, and he said there should be a ceasefire right now and negotiations. What do you think are the chances, the real chances of any diplomacy? You have to call uh, uh, Mr. Zelensky uh, because a year and a half ago he signed a decree prohibiting any negotiations with Putin government. And this is a well-known fact. Putin repeatedly mentioned this when asked similar questions. They have a chance. They had a chance uh, in March and April 2022, uh, very soon after the beginning of the uh, military operation, when in Istanbul the negotiators, negotiators reached a deal based on the neutrality of Ukraine, uh, no NATO, but some other security guarantees given to Ukraine by the West and Russia together. This deal was aborted, it was cancelled, because the Americans and the Brits decided that if Putin is ready to sign it, then let's exhaust him more. So that's what they're doing now. Uh, stalemate or no stalemate, that's, that's the fact. When you look back to the beginning of the war, there was a General Assembly resolution that Russia should, they should, Russia should pull back its troops from Ukraine. 
At the time, there were 141 states in favour of the motion. As things stand now, do you think the global position has changed, the perception of Russia has changed? Well, uh, that uh, resolution, I know how it was adopted. I have many friends in New York and they were privately telling me that the means used by the Americans uh, to get uh, that many votes uh, were really very, very specific. The ambassadors in New York were approached by junior diplomats from an American or British mission. Uh, and the question was, was raised, uh, Mr. Ambassador, please don't forget that the vote is tomorrow. And don't forget that your bank account is in Merrill Lynch, uh, that your kids are in Stanford. I'm not exa exacerbating. Uh, it's, it, it was exactly the means uh, applied. And look, if, so if, the Americans, is that if, your if the Americans, let me interrupt you for a change. Of course. If the Americans are champions of democracy, as they say, uh, look, what happened in February 2022? We repeatedly, for many years, we have been saying that Ukraine in NATO is unacceptable. In December 21, we suggested to US and NATO a treaty guaranteeing security in Europe for everyone. This was rejected. Uh, the Minsk agreements uh, have been undermined and the people cynically said that they never intended to implement them. They needed to gain more time uh, to put more arms into Ukraine against Russia. Anyway, we started this operation. Putin made a special address. He explained everything which lied behind our action. The Americans and the satellites condemned it strongly. Okay, the others, the, the global south, the global majority, they should be treated as grown-ups and they should have decided on their own, having listened to us, having listened to the West, uh, this would be democratic way of treating countries of the world. We never ever uh, pushed anybody into any position. We just presented the reasons why we did it. The Americans and the Europeans, NATO, EU members, they were running all over the world, not just presenting the assessment of what is happening in Ukraine, but uh, putting ultimatum, blackmailing, threats, sanctions, unless you condemn Russia, there would be consequences. You know how they behave. This is their usual style. You mentioned the expansion of NATO, but the result of your war is that there are far more NATO troops now on Russia's borders. Sweden wants to join NATO. Finland's already joined NATO. You now have a doubling of the border between NATO and Russia. So it's backfired, hasn't it? You know, in, in the beginning of 19th century, Napoleon assembled uh, almost entire Europe to attack Russia uh, and we defeated him and we became stronger after that aggression. In the middle of last century, Hitler did the same. Uh, he uh, put under his uh, command uh, most of the European countries to launch aggression against Russia. He was defeated as well and we became stronger after that war. And the result of the war launched by the United States using Ukraine, uh, Ukraine against Russia is already uh, seen. And uh, on, you mentioned the, the expansion of NATO, uh, but the main result 
for us and for others, by the way, uh, who would feel this result later, is that Russia has already become much stronger than it was before these events. And this would be, this would be the case uh, after the war has finished. Let me go back to August when Yevgeny Prigozhin was killed, when his plane was blown up. Uh, that is still uh, very suspicious. No one knows exactly what happened, although people have suspicions. Uh, he ran the Wagner Group that had tentacles in Africa, in Libya, Mali, Central African Republic. Can you tell our audience what now happens to those Wagner operations? Have they been subsumed into the Russian chain of command? Because there are all sorts of human rights allegations, torture, executions that were made against those Wagner fighters. Well, the death of Evgeny Prigozhin has been investigated by the Russian Investigation Committee. The results have been made public. So on this one, I don't have anything to add. As regards the uh, soldiers from Wagner Group, uh, well, there were many reports uh, by the Russian government, uh, by Belarusian president, by the way, uh, how the uh, fate and the future uh, for these for this people uh, has been discussed. Uh, quite a number of them went to Belarus and uh, started to serve there, uh, to undergo military service there. Others joined the regular structures of the Russian army, and they continue, uh, continue uh, to serve. There are important elections taking place in Russia and the US this year. I think we know who is probably going to win in Russia. In the United States, and it's 11 months, a long time in politics, uh, Donald Trump may well be the Republican candidate. He's looking like he may well be the Republican candidate. For Russia, would that improve relations with the United States if Donald Trump was back in the White House? Uh, you know, we uh, respect the uh, American people and we would not uh, make any remarks uh, which, would be <laughs> which would look as if we, as if we don't. Uh, I remember what the, uh, the, uh, the reaction was by the Democratic Party after Trump won in 2016. Uh, and by the way, uh, we still remember how President Obama, three weeks before Trump's inauguration, uh, expelled dozens of Russian diplomats with their families, uh, making sure that the departure was as uncomfortable as possible, uh, and then introduced uh, sanctions against Russia for interference in the American domestic affairs. Since then, they never provide, never could provide a single proof that this lie has any substance behind it. So I leave your, I mean, not your, I leave the American electoral system and habits uh, to their own devices. I wouldn't, wouldn't like to get into this. Finally, Mr. Foreign Minister, you are, I believe, the second longest serving foreign minister in the world. You're the longest serving foreign minister of Russia since czarist times. And of course, you were at the diplomatic top table before this for 10 years as uh, the Russian ambassador to the United Nations. In uh, a few months' time in March, you'll have served for 20 years as Russian foreign minister. How long do you think you're going to go on in this job? 
I really don't understand why I'm asking this question. I serve my country as long as my country needs me. Thank you very much for talking to Al Jazeera, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. Thank you.